Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. I'm your host, Chaz Robbins, and today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the whole idea of inspiration and uh, how we got the Bible, how that all fits together, as well as we may even hit on inerrancy and some of those important things. Scott, what's the the whole big deal on this topic of of inspiration and uh, how it fits into how we got the Bible today? This is good. I mean, this is an important topic because, uh, say, at Northern Seminary and in my Master of Arts in New Testament program, we're going to focus on the Bible. We're going to focus on the Bible, not because it's a historic document, though it is that. We're going to focus on the Bible because we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And one of the words we use to describe the Bible, uh, Chaz, is this word inspiration. I'm sure at different points in your life you've heard heard this term used. And uh, it sort of has a magical meaning to many people. I grew up uh, in the kind of Christianity where inspiration almost meant dictation, so that God was actually telling Paul what to say. Uh, The longer you study the Bible, the more you realize that these authors of the Bible are very much involved in what is said, and you feel their personalities, and you sense their mind and their differences and their diversity. So this word inspiration is only used one time explicitly in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Uh, It is alluded to in 2 Peter as well. But what we probably mean by it, and we're safest and most accurate by saying inspiration means that it is God-breathed in the sense that God was at work in this text. Now, I, I know that's not as explicit as some of the doctrines, but what we want to say, what we believe, is that the Bible is the product of something divine at work, that God was at work in these authors so that what is written expresses what God wants to be said. So before we go any further, I think it would be good um, just for us all to be on the same page. Could you give us just a simple simple definition of both inspiration and inerrancy? I would define inspiration as the long-term centuries-long process of God's guidance through the Spirit of God leading in specific instances to a text that expresses the mind of God in a given context for the people of God. So I don't want to make it just a magical moment of an author. That author is writing in the context of the Bible's narrative, and it's knowing and being soaked in that narrative and being guided by the Spirit of God, that the author, when he sits down to write the text, is guided by the Spirit of God that has been guiding the people of God for centuries and centuries. So I, I want to I dislocate inspiration from an exclusive sense of individualism and just an individual author. And I don't think that's at all unusual. I think I learned this when I was in college from a great book on the doctrine of inspiration by E.J. Young. Inerrancy, as it has been understood in the church, 
largely only since the Reformation has it been a major category. Inerrancy refers to the comprehensive truthfulness of everything affirmed in Scripture. And I like a definition of inerrancy that focuses on truth. However, the word inerrancy has become a political term, and I think in the process, the word inerrancy is not so much about the truthfulness of Scripture, but about which team you're on. It kind of goes back to really what we're doing with the whole podcast of, of understanding the context. And part of the context of where Scripture comes from is, like you said, what's going on in the hearts of, of the authors and and not just the, the historical and the, the cultural context of what's going on, but you know God working in their heart. And if we're going to be able to understand Scripture and apply it to, to our context and our lives today— I mean, we kind of have to understand that context, I would say, uh, of God working in those authors and, and what he's trying to bring about in their life. Yeah, you're right. And, and when you look at 2 Timothy, what is most noticeable is that when Paul begins to talk to Timothy and actually brings up this word inspiration, he doesn't start sort of with a apocalyptic moment of this is the Bible and it dropped from heaven. He says things like this to Timothy. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Now, clearly, Paul is telling Timothy here uh, to listen to the wisdom of the ages that he grew up under and the ages wisdom that he grew up under is the teachings of his mother and grandmother. And this wisdom is in the Old Testament. The scriptures that he's talking about here, that's not the New Testament. That's the Old Testament. And he tells Timothy that this scripture is given for a reason. It's not simply theology. It's not simply history. It's not simply wisdom. It's not simply prophecy. It is a message of God designed for salvation. And we really go wrong when we think that this is just a source of debate, and instead we realize this is God's message to humans so that humans might be saved. And that's why Paul says in 2 Timothy that this is these holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus, who is the Messiah. So, Scripture is given. It is inspired for a reason. It is a movement of God in a text so that through that text, a person might find salvation. So when we talk about, um, you know, what this scripture does to us, what specifically are you talking about with with salvation and and how that works and what that looks like? You know, uh, Paul almost here, almost gives an outline. And this is why for me, Um, the discussion of inerrancy has become a political position. When when someone asks you, do you believe in inerrancy? That's a political question. They're asking you, are you on our team? Are you on the other team? Uh, It's sort of like Donald Trump asking questions about the wall. It's a little bit like 
a Democrat asking a question, do you believe in social justice? These are terms that express which side you're on. Inerrancy is a, is a word that is asked, which team are you on? Are you with the conservative evangelicals who believe, who believe everything in the Bible and therefore uh, you line up with all these political positions and theological positions. Um, they're saying, do you think the Bible is true about creation and science? Do you think the Bible is true about who wrote Isaiah? Those are all tied into the word inerrancy. And I think uh, that word inerrancy gets confusing because it is so politically charged. So notice what Paul does in this passage when he talks about the gift of God in Scripture when God is at work in these authors. And I want to read from 2 Timothy, where Paul says, all scripture, which means every bit of it, is God-breathed or inspired. Uh, that means that Paul believes the whole Bible is a product of what God wants to be said to his people. And notice that this God-breathedness, this inspiration, this movement of God through God's Spirit in text is useful in four ways. It's useful for teaching, so we know doctrine. We know what God wants us to know. It is useful for rebuking. Don't we all know this? Read the Sermon on the Mount every morning for a month, and you will feel rebuked by this text because it is so revealing of motive and behavior. It is useful for correction. So it not only tells us, and it not only tells us off, it tells us how we are to live. And then it says it trains us in righteousness. Righteousness is one of the most important words in the entire Bible. When Timothy heard that word righteousness, he did not think about the Reformation and debates about justification. And the word justification comes from this word righteousness. He thought of those great texts in Deuteronomy and Isaiah where the word righteousness describes behavior that conforms to the Torah, to the will of God. So the Bible is going to tell us what we need to know. It's going to tell us off because of the way we live. It's going to tell us how we can get right again. And it's going to tell us how we can walk in the way God wants. Why? And this is what inspiration is really all about. Inspiration is shaped for transformation and formation. So that the servant of God, and here clearly Paul's looking at Timothy as a servant of God, as someone who has a great opportunity to serve in the church with ministry of teaching and preaching and pastoring and guiding. He says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The discussion about inspiration sometimes turns the Bible into magic, so that it's a book unlike other books. I believe that to be true. The discussion about inerrancy turns into debates about whether we can prove the Bible is true. Instead of using the word inerrancy, I like to use the word true. The Bible is true. Inerrancy is not fine as a term is not found in the Bible, and it has been hijacked by polemical and political debates. And as a result, I increasingly find students who simply cannot relate to that term because they know it's a debate term. It's a, it's a term that tells other people which team you're on. 
I like to say the Bible is true in whatever it says according to the divine purpose. The divine purpose of this text is to transform us so that we'll be equipped for every good work, so that we'll be transformed and formed into Christiformity or cruciformity and learn to live the way we're supposed to live. So we can't really understand inspiration unless we understand its reasoning for transformation that God wants to bring about in our lives. And that happening through the teaching, the rebuking, the correcting, and those models of training in in righteousness uh, in those ways. You know, I have a friend who is a very prominent conservative evangelical theologian who talks about inerrancy. And he says, what is inerrant is the intention of God expressed in that text. So what he's saying is, this text has a divine mission. That mission is is spelled out by the Apostle Paul as a mission of transformation. We are not reading the Bible right if it's not rebuking us and correcting us and training us in righteousness so that we become better people, so that we become more Christoformed, so that we become more cruciformed. We're reading the Bible wrong if all it's doing is creating an ideological construct in our mind so that we now have a theology. It does create theology, but that theology, according to the doctrine of inspiration, is moving us in a direction of transformation And that transformation leads us into the very heart of the mission of God, digging deep roots in our world as it was digging deep roots in that world. So when I think about this Timothy passage, and uh, especially the you know the whole training and and rebuking and you know, mo- mo- models of, of righteousness, I, I think of you know our, our next generation and the kids who we're raising in the church and discipling and trying to to train to to be like Jesus and, and have faith in Him. And uh, I, I've heard one pastor talk about how sometimes we do a disservice to the young people in our church when we kind of hang all of of our our theology, our understanding, or really our the foundation of our whole faith on um, the inerrancy of the Bible, as we've as yeah, we've yeah, talked yeah. about, and 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 he says that uh, the foundation of our faith is not necessarily you know the Bible, but the historical event of you know the death, burial, and resurrection uh, of Jesus. You know, what do you say to that? Yeah, yeah. Do you agree with that? You think that's a good way to think about it? Yeah, or? and you know, part of the problem is we create false dichotomies. It's not this, but it's this. Uh, we don't mean usually when we use that kind of language to say that we have to make a choice and that one of them is off the table, one of them is on the table. But it is so important to realize that we, notice how Timothy is talked to here. You learn the faith from your parents. So faith is learned through a Christian community. It is not learned uh in any other way, usually, for most people. I mean, some people learn it from a book, but there aren't very many people like that. They learn it through a, a Christian faith, a, a Christian community, a faith community. And when we realize this, we realize that our faith is not anchored in some rational construct that may make best sense of it, but rather we come to faith through a Christian community that told us what? They told us about Jesus Christ. They told us about his life, his teachings, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. This is something the Apostle Paul tells us. 
that our faith is vain and our we are still in our sins if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. So the anchor of our doctrine of Scripture is the resurrection of Jesus. He was raised from the dead, confirming everything he said, everything he did, and now because of that, we have a completely unique angle on all of life and in all of Scripture that it witnesses to Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul says to Timothy. You came to believe a faith, the way of salvation is the way of Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the Messiah because he was raised from the dead, giving complete revolutionary understanding of his death. So that now, because of that resurrection, we understand who Jesus is, that he is witnessed to in this scripture, and now we see this scripture as inspired. So I, I think it's really important to get this order right. I believe in inspiration. I believe in the truthfulness of scripture. I've dedicated my life to a life of teaching the Bible for the purpose of transformation. But the core of that faith is not because I believe in the Bible and therefore I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus and therefore I believe in the Bible. I believe in the Bible that Jesus taught us to believe in. So if we're going to believe in the Bible, I mean, we have to start, the starting point to faith is always Jesus. And we can't really, you know, go anywhere else, especially with the Bible, unless, you know, we start there and in, in, in oh, faith yeah. in him. Chaz, you're right. And not only that, there's way too many people who are trying to give an apologetic for the Bible. And it almost becomes a text so that we are text people. We are people of the book. Well, Yes, I, I know what they're saying. And we don't know Jesus apart from the witness of the, of the Spirit through this book, although we do learn of it many times through individual people, but ultimately it's connected to this book. But we, believe, we are not people of the book that way. We are people of Jesus. We are people who believe that God has revealed himself in Christ, and this scripture points us to this Jesus. So, uh, I, I think our order really matters, and I believe in the Bible, but I believe in the Bible because I have encountered Jesus Christ through the pages of this Bible, and it is His, him as a person, him as the Messiah, him as the Lord that has given me confidence in this scripture that points us to him and what he brings for us today. Yeah. And so in, in, in talking about Jesus, I think one of the, the places that uh, a lot of people sometimes can get uh, hung up on and, um, you know, m maybe other people have tried to disprove is, you know, looking at the four accounts, the different accounts of the Gospels and seeing that there is the same story in, you know, what Jesus is doing and what's going on, but it's in each of the author's context to the audience that they're, they're writing to. And so, you know, Luke may emphasize a different point than Matthew or John or, you know, or, 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 or Mark. And, uh, and these different points sometimes get misunderstood that it, it's really about them being in their context and, and, and presenting Jesus in the way that he needs to be heard yeah. by their audience. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. And, and, and sometimes people getting hung up on that. Oh, they do. And I mean, for instance, you could just take... The Beatitudes. Did Jesus say, blessed are the poor, Luke 6? Or did he say, blessed are the poor in spirit? What did Peter say when, Jesus, when he confessed Jesus? You are the Messiah. 
you are the Messiah of God, or you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Three different accounts, three different things that Peter confesses. All right. For some people, and I think this is where the magical theory of inspiration or the overly rigorous theory of inerrancy lose contact with the Bible so that we let the Bible determine what the Bible is, not our outside ideas saying, this is what the Bible's got to be because I believe this. There are There is more than one way to report about an event that tells the truth of that event and that faithfully records what happened. And sometimes we have to slightly update it because of the audience we're speaking to. I believe, along with many scholars today, that Mark was the first gospel written of according to the gospels that we have. And we, most of us, believe that there were sources that Matthew and Luke and John and Mark had access to. But let's just say, uh, for a standard hypothesis, that Matthew used Mark. You can read the Gospel of Mark, a passage, say, Jesus returning to his hometown in Nazareth, and then read uh, that passage in Mark 6, and then read it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. And you look at it and you say, wow, there's some really interesting differences here. That's because Matthew, in essence, is performing that passage for his audience rather than just verbally quoting what he found in his sources. And hence, the red-letter editions give a false impression of what the Gospels actually are. The Gospels are not verbatim quotations of Jesus, but more or less accurate reporting of what Jesus said in light of what he intended, in light of what each evangelist intended for his audience. And we have four evangelists and four audiences, and hence we have four presentations of Jesus. They confirm one another over and over and over, and at the same time, because each one of them is digging kingdom roots in their local community, each one of those gospels expresses things in slightly different way because they adjust it to their context. Which of us has not done this? We do this with our children when we speak to them, two different children, two different ways to talk about it. We do this with our neighbors. We do this with our closer friends. We adjust the truthfulness of our situation to the audience that we're speaking, bringing out the things that are important. This is so important. This is what Timothy learned, and this is so important for what the doctrine of inspiration actually means. Let the Bible determine what the Bible is. Let not outside ideas determine what the Bible is. So it seems like some of our, our problem with uh, trying to understand in, inerrancy and, and inspiration is uh, we get so focused on the minutia of the little details that, that we, we get kind of we, you know focused on the tree and we lose the forest, yeah. so to say. Um, but yet, you know, it's important to understand the actual words and, and yes, what yes. they say. And so it's almost like there's a, a tension that we kind of have to, to keep in balance of, of understanding the context. Yeah. And understanding the words themselves and then applying them to our lives and the world that we live in. Uh, what do you? What would you say that, that we need to do to be able to hold that tension yeah, yeah. well and apply it? Yeah, that's a great question. All right, I, here's the big idea. I think Timothy's words are so important here 
because they teach us that the ultimate aim of Scripture is our personal, moral, spiritual, behavioral transformation, intellectual transformation. So we have to keep that in mind with everything we're doing, that the Bible is moving us toward Christ-likeness. And in keeping everything in that proper teleological direction, the aim of Scripture is to transform us. I think we then put the trees into the forest because then we see what the forest is about. And by knowing what the forest is about, our personal transformation, we see why this tree is here. Let me put it, let me close with just this idea. Is that I think one of the great things we can learn about reading the Bible is, the, is to know where the Bible began and where the Bible is going to end. The Bible begins in a garden, and it ends in the new heavens and the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, in a city. Every text in Scripture is there to lead, is in the text, is it's leading us from the garden to the city. Every time we read a text, we have to ask, how is this text getting me toward the kingdom of God? How is it shaping me toward that kingdom of God? How is, it, how is it transforming me so that I will be fit and ready and suited up for the new heavens and the new earth? And I think that, Chaz, I think that is a perspective that keeps the forest in view as we examine the tree. Sometimes we can get so narrowly focused on a text that it's no longer about our personal transformation so that we will be fit for the kingdom of God. But instead, it becomes simply an academic debate that we can intellectually resolve that is divorced from real life. When that happens, we've lost contact with what Scripture is doing. Scripture, from the very beginning, Paul tells Timothy, is designed so that the servant of, a, servant of God may be equipped for every good work. Those works will be dug deeply in the new city because the kingdom will be fully established and we will be a part of that people of God in the end. So we can never divorce our reading of Scripture from what's happening in our, our lives today. And it's really nothing more than an opportunity than the kingdom of God to be expressed in, in our lives and, and how God yeah. wants to express it. You know, and, and you know, look, look, uh, Chaz, you're a seminary student and you're a good student. Well, this thank is, you. <laughs> yeah, this is a challenge, is that sometimes in seminary, and I want to point at pastors, sometimes pastors read the Bible exclusively so that they'll have a sermon to preach. Sometimes seminary students study the Bible so they'll have something to say in their paper. This is, this is playing with a dynamic in a dangerous way. That text is not given so that I can preach a better sermon. That text is not given so that I can write a better book. That text is not given so that students can write a better paper and know more and resolve their questions that text is given to make me someone I'm not. It is designed to transform me into Christ-likeness. And any time I approach the Bible, apart from that, I'm playing with fire. I'm playing with the deep, deep magic of the kingdom of God. 
I am, in essence, pulling out roots uh, from the kingdom of God's deep terrain that is designed to transform me with deep rootedness into Christ-likeness. And that's what it's all about. Inspiration being how God transforms us through his word. Thanks so much for joining us today again on our podcast. Make sure that you get a chance to subscribe so that you don't miss all of the the great content that we have coming your way. Have a great day. 